0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with values of the Value Guys. I'm a 25-year Wall Street veteran, or I guess 30 actually, who has gone underground, taken on a secret identity in order to provide you with my candid views on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. Uh, You've seen my face on television. You've seen me quoted in the news, but my bosses would never allow my unfiltered views on the air, so I've disguised my voice and they'll never know. This week, I look at the uh, February 26, 2010 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey, and um, I will give uh, three uh, decent, I think pretty decent, value ideas out of this issue. Uh, A couple of caveats, though. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Um, I may have many conflicts of interest, including um, having... Uh, ownership positions opposite of those that I recommend on the show, including potentially uh, uh, lucrative arrangements with the management teams of these companies. And finally, uh, I may be completely uninformed. Please check all the caveats at www.thevalueguys.com, excuse me, where you'll uh, see bios, pictures, and... uh, Also, uh, maybe our most important caveat, which is it's after work, and um, I may be drinking, and in fact I am right now. Now, a couple of uh, uh, announcements of some sort, they're not really announcements, but um, disclosures, if you will. First, this show, this week, is very late. It's actually March, uh, I don't even know the date, it's in March, early March, and uh, for reasons that... I won't get into uh we've got a lot of stuff going on in the office and so uh, I was traveling and I just I didn't you know uh I didn't get to the show and this is rare we've been on the show about 5 years only missed a couple of times and so uh you know that's going to be uh an issue here for some of our listeners that the stocks this week are actually about a week uh late Uh secondly um I, I don't have exactly uh, current prices here uh, on the show, um, so uh, I'm looking at the February 26 value line. But the stocks a little bit higher. It's not a big deal. And you might say, well, why don't you just do this week's, um, you know, this week's stocks? And the fact is, I haven't actually had time uh, to do it. I, I, I had last work, last week's work done. Because uh, I actually recorded last, this show last week, but again, for the first time in many years, uh, the file the file went bad, and you're hearing my computer boot up. Because this week I started to record the show, and I said, you know what? Last week the file went bad, and so uh, some listeners have you know known in the past on occasion I've recorded the show just on my uh, on my iPhone, and I started it up this week as well as a backup. And so just now, uh, my typical uh, recording equipment, again, has failed me, so I don't know exactly why, and uh, yet my iPhone is, uh, is recording the show. So we'll just see how it goes. This is not uh, our best work here on the value guys, but I'd already done some work on the stocks. They really haven't moved, and the February 26th issue was a healthcare issue, and I think you know we are at a time of some kind of uh, maximum uncertainty on these stocks, and that's given us, I think, a pretty good entry point. So I don't want to miss that issue just because I have had some logistics issues personally. So I've got uh, three ideas this week, Johnson & Johnson, uh, C.R. Bard, and Kinetic Concepts. But before I get to that, I've got a little bit of a rant. So this year, as listeners may know, I've started to do a rant just to try to keep it interesting uh, since my move. and. Uh, you know first up i have to ask a question i started this year doing a blog just with summaries of these comments and again last week you know i didn't do the blog either i just got busy and i noticed not a lot of people are even looking at the blog so uh... if you really want to see the blog which is just a summary of the stocks i talk about here on the show please write in give me a little encouragement maybe that'll push me over the edge to where i'll actually do the blog um, if you go to uh let's see, it's uh, valuelineobserver dot the value guys dot com uh, that's the blog, or write me at val at the value guys dot com and let me know if you want me to do that because it it does take some work, and if no one's going to use it, I'm not going to keep doing it. Um, okay, my rant this week, which actually i did I did this rant last week, and it came out great. Uh, the reason you haven't heard that is because that file uh, broke. Hmm. Excuse me. So let me try to make make out my notes here. Um, you know what? I, I'm just crossing that out. Just crossing that out. I had a different. I have a different rant. I don't have any notes on this. This is completely a cappella. And I was walking uh, with my wife today. Uh, We were out for some coffee and it occurred to me, I was thinking about, you know, as a capitalist, the great productivity that we've enjoyed by letting a a bunch of free people with uh, the ability to work hard, have the benefits of their work accrue to their families, that's how the country got going. People you know, they they had a lot of adversity at the beginning, if you've read about it. And uh, a lot of people died, had very hard lives, to carve out a place where you could retain the fruits of your own labor. And in fact, some of the incentive to leave was a burden by the state and the church uh, in Europe that's actually less than we're having here now. I mean, if if there were a place we could all sail to and start a new nation, I'm sure many people would want to do that. Um... And so what I was thinking about was, you know, this whole tax situation in terms of the government spending as a percentage of GDP, my big picture rant would simply be that um, the more of our nation's resources and capital that aren't driven by a profit motive simply means that they will be put to something less than their best use. And when you do that, you're leaving potential growth on the table which leads to future wealth. So as you invest resources in ways that are more um, uh you know dr- driven by a, a particular vision rather than the uh marketplace in a darwinian way l- allowing the best products to, to to win and the and the and the worst products to lose simply as people seek price Uh, options and quality options that drive the success of different products. Um, More investment goes into those because they're gaining share and losers lose. And this is, it's Darwinian, but it's uh, economics and that's been going on. The more of the pie that's just driven by a particular viewpoint uh, or um, you know transfer payments giving money from the workers to the non-workers then uh, those resources the return on capital associated with the investment of those resources will be less and wealth when you get out you know not next year or the year after but when you look at the future of your children if you have little children who are five or ten or whatever when they want to buy a house I've gone through this math before the wealth per capita is going to be 30 to 40% lower than it would have otherwise been if you allowed uh, the free market to drive the returns and drive the choices for investment um, than you would have otherwise. And that means that, you know, 30 years out, you're going to have a 30% smaller home. That's probably what it does mean, Um, 30% fewer uh, hours of leisure et cetera et cetera and so um what what occurs to me though is that this long period of growth that was enjoyed here uh due to the small footprint of government and the retention of growing wealth by the capitalists themselves in our country, what's happened is um certainly we all enjoy a much higher standard of living um than you know generations ago but what i'm ranting about right now is that rather than let all the fruits of that labor accrue to the people uh, that earned them the government has taken a bigger and bigger share sort of out of nowhere this really just started this century you know in the really income tax i think came in in the 1914 to 1918 time frame as a way to finance world war 1 and it sort of stayed with us and before that the government was run by you know basically the customs house took a toll on people coming in there were some taxes trade taxes and stamps and licenses and things like that but there wasn't an income tax and even that first income tax was in single digit rates for people who made at the top five percent of the income uh, distribution and so it was a very different thing even at the start And it's slowly just gone to where I think what we're looking at, if you take state and federal and local, we're approaching the point where half of the wealth of our nation is in some part government spending. And as we've seen, the government is not spending wisely. In other words, um, they're not spending in a way that will allow wealth to grow. They've been spending in a way that now is going to tap wealth and reduce wealth. So instead of keeping some of the you know, seed corn, if you will, I'm not a farmer, but um, they've used all the seed corn and they've borrowed some of the neighbor's seed corn. And to have the group that's managing this process to be put into more, uh, allow them to run more resources, I think it's nice to see that voters are finally taking notice of what's been going on because the wealth that could have been accruing to the people Uh, and their families, or the capitalists who, you know, could invest it to drive future wealth. Uh, In effect, the government has been taking a bigger and bigger share. And I thought, I haven't done this, but I want to go and graph this in terms of productivity. So productivity as it's grown as industry and technology has allowed us to grow per capita uh, income or per capita production, per capita wealth. Um, it seems that the government's share has grown right along with that. And so I just, I think it's interesting. It's like a landlord where the landlord on the way in says, hey, don't worry about it, you know, your rent, you know, just, it's, uh, look, it's it's 10%. It's 10% of your, your revenue, whatever. And as you get down the road, um, as you turn out to have a successful business, The the landlord comes in and and raises it to to 50%, and you have nowhere to go, and you feel a little bit tricked on the way in. Um, Fortunately, I guess, for the current government officials, the people who feel the most tricked are dead, and those would be the founders and the people that voted for them and all that. Um, And so it's been a gradual thing that um, has sort of taken uh, taken us a little bit by surprise. And I think it's time to, to, to think about that. And particularly for those of you that are business students, if you just do the math on return on capital, it tells you a lot. And I think a couple of weeks ago, I did sort of rant through a supply and demand curve of some of these issues. So um, that's my rant for the week. It's that uh, Uncle Sam here is... Um, It's like the landlord. They're they're taking too much of the pie and they need to let us have some of the pie back. Um, Really now. So, there's my rant. Okay, three stocks this week. Uh, They're all healthcare. That's why I'm uh, going back in time and and doing this um, weeks late because I think it was a pretty good issue. And um, let me me start with, uh, let's see, I want to go in page number order here first up c r bard uh ticker b c r oh, and before I get into any more of this, I just want to say uh, hi to uh to my cousin uh, Michael so he said he might listen in. I said I'd say hi, so hi uh, looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks c r bard page one seventy seven is a uh, a healthcare company. And they're very well diversified. They provide products for all kinds of healthcare procedures uh They have a vascular department, so they provide uh products for angioplasty and angiography and geography I guess I don't know what have you catheters stents etc so that's about blood that's twenty five percent of revenue oncology twenty nine percent that's cancer uh gastro Enterological products and bladder, that's 15%, hernia repair, orthopedic, laparoscopic, etc. So, pretty diversified. All of those products are attached to a procedure of some sort, and so, um, at least in my judgment, they're going to be less likely to be involved in too much price pressure simply because when you look at the price of the total procedure, it includes you know costs for the hospital costs for the doctor etc and so it's a little bit like the uh the fighter plane on an aircraft carrier you know it's uh, it's certainly expensive but um in conjunction with the whole delivery system it's not a big piece and so you're a little bit uh price uh indifferent and i think that's the case here particularly when doctors get familiar with a particular brand excuse me um, they're hesitant to switch <coughs> switch um, products as they get used to using it, um, and so I would view that as a pretty stable business. Of course, healthcare attracts me at thirty thousand feet because of the demographics and the, the notion that one of the reasons healthcare spending is going up is because each person is making personal choices. Um, about their own spending, and as more people, as a percentage of the population, are in the age groups that use more health care, you naturally will have a growth in health care per capita on average. And a lot of what's going on, um, not a lot, but at least half of what's going on in terms of health care spending as a percentage of GDP growth is because people are choosing to spend more of their discretionary income on health care and the delivery system being insurance rather than you just go pay for it like when you use other services you pay as you go i don't have health insurance for uh... vacations or i don't have vacation insurance for when i take a vacation and yet i use vacations as much as i use health care or maybe more um, you don't have uh, insurance for food and yet i use food a lot it's uh... It's kind of a, a, a strange notion driven really by the tax system where um, health care is cheaper uh, when it's provided by an employer simply because a quirk of old um, uh, accounting, tax accounting, is that uh, it's deductible for uh, corporations as a cost of doing business, but for an individual it's not. And so um, we have a system where Users are not the buyers, and if you did that in any category, you'd have problems. If your employer were buying your car for you, can you imagine? Um, and there were four choices for cars, and everyone had to choose amongst them. I mean, um, and if you bought your own car at home, uh, not through your employer, it would cost 30% more because so few people were, you know, doing that, and there were just a few models. So. It's, um, it's a quirky system, and it would be nice if they'd focus on some of those uh, uh, real uh, you know, core problems uh, which are induced by uh, this tax uh, problem. Uh, but I do view, getting back to C.R. Bard, I hate to drift back into my rant there, C.R. Bard I think is a little bit insulated. Um, Because the things that they do are going to grow, unit growth will be above average because these are things that people use as they age. And, um, you know, their operating margin has been running in the 30% range, upper 20s. It's very stable and consistently growing. That tells me there's something proprietary. The return on capital has run in the low 20s, upper 20s for a long time. That tells me there's something proprietary. 8% Eight percent of sales is R and D, so that's discretionary and presumably has a present value based on the uh, outcome of that R and D. And so I might even add that back to current operating margin uh, in terms of uh, some type of, uh, you know, uh, operating operating margin, if you will. And and that's uh, you know gets me in the thirty-eight percent sort of zone. Which is certainly a, a place that says something's going on that's uh, either proprietary, oligopoly, or as I said, the market's price indifferent because the whole operation is built around putting in these devices, and yet the cost of the devices themselves is a small percentage of the total. Um, according to Value Line, things are going along here pretty nicely recently. Um, they're showing growth in a bunch of stuff, which. Um, You know, that doesn't surprise me. You know, some of their surgeries, I'm sure, are going up in use. Um, Management is doing some stuff to save costs. Uh, That's good. You know, of course they're doing that. That's why they uh, get paid. So they're doing all those kinds of things, but you can see that in their numbers. When you see returns on capital in the 20s, uh, their debt is very low 6% debt to capital. One of the things I really like about this is simply that it's been a well-run company for a long time, but, um, you know, it it seems to be trading at a bit of a discount in here in part because of the uncertainty associated with the future of healthcare spending. And I do think there's some fear in the stock that somehow there's going to be price controls or um, pullbacks on, you know, returns, and that somehow this is going to be regulated like a utility. And... um, I just don't think that's going to happen because uh you know you do need innovation here. Um, one of the things I'd notice about the markets for of utilities is uh utilities, you know, it's the same technology you had 100 years ago for the utilities, electricity and water, um you know, not a lot of change, gas, okay. Um here we we can't have 100 years without uh some uh, uh some some growth and some innovation. So uh, you're unlikely to see that sort of thing, and I'm, I'm only half kidding here. Um, I I do like their balance sheet a lot. They're they're cash rich. They have uh, about seven dollars a share in cash, and uh, and virtually uh, no debt. The net cash is uh, is about six dollars a share. Uh, enterprise value to EBITDA here. Enterprise value, which would be you know the total cost of us to own the stock and the debt. It's about $7.5 billion, which is the shares times the price. Back out the uh, net debt. And then I've got an EBITDA, which is earnings before interest taxes and depreciation, of about um, $900 million, which is just the operating margin times sales. And that gives me about an 8.5 times multiple. I do the inverse of that, 1 over 8.5, uh, representing my cash yield, and that would be about 12%. I'm going to get about 10% growth of earnings on top of that, so I'm looking at this thing on a, you know, a low 20s% um, return on my investment, and so I like that a lot. CR Bard ticker BCR. Next up, uh, page 208, Johnson and Johnson. Very similar story here. Uh, you get a little bit of a yield. Uh, that you don't get it barred, 3.2%. But Johnson and Johnson is a well diversified provider of medical products. They have pieces in the consumer area, which you know the brand, of course. They have medical devices in wound closure, minimally invasive surgical instruments, diagnostics, orthopedics. They do contact lenses. They have some pharmaceuticals with market in uh, contraceptives, psychiatric, anti-infective. I'm just reading what ValueLine writes here: dermatological, and so uh, they've got uh, you know some diversification to healthcare. Um, Value line breaks it down a little further. Pharmaceuticals, 39%. um, Medical devices, 36%. Consumer, 25%. International, 49%. Here they're doing a 30% operating margin with that mix. Again, very consistent going back that says something's proprietary or, again, price indifferent because it's such a small piece of the total operation. Return on capital in the 20s. the cap um, that's completely offset by cash, which is about $7 a share here, $6 a share. Um, Enterprise value to EBITDA, just like CR Bard, 8.5 times, so 1 over 8.5 would be my yield, uh, cash yield if I bought the whole company before I, you know, reinvested in uh, in capital spending. ValueLine thinks their growth rate's going to be a little lower, Uh, they're showing 8% growth. But, you know, I mean, who knows? Why 8, C.R. Bard? I guess part of Johnson & Johnson, you know, is the two of these. They have a similar valuation. Johnson & Johnson has a higher yield. One of the reasons to like C.R. Bard is, um, uh, you know, that they've got a little bit more weight to just medical procedures, uh, which is doctors choosing um, devices. And so that's going to be a bit stickier. There's going to be... Uh, you know, a barrier to losing share simply because doctors make the choice about what they use and, you know, why should they switch out prices of no object to them at the moment you're going into surgery. Whereas Johnson & Johnson sells a lot of stuff that, you know, doctors might not be involved in and uh, cost reduction boards might be more involved in and that would be particularly on the consumer side where they're basically selling a lot of fluffy cotton stuff that, um, you know, if it starts to be sold by weight, you know, maybe they got a problem. I don't know. I mean, their returns on capital have been as consistently high as CR Bard. Um, their uh, their net profit, you know, has uh, almost always gone only up over the period here. CR Bard, um, you know, same same deal. Uh, I do think you're gonna. Have a potential for more growth at CR Bard simply because it's smaller. So if you know the potential to bolt on accretive acquisitions and have that be meaningful to the growth to the investor, you know over time is more likely at CR Bard just because they're smaller. They've got two, you know, 2.9 billion in sales, and Johnson and Johnson has 68 billion in sales. So, um, you know, I guess I'd rather. I'd rather take a shot on C.R. Bard being a you know a, a potential uh, grower or, or an acquired company. Someone could simply overpay for C.R. Bard. It could be Johnson & Johnson. Who knows? I mean, I think you could own a little bit of the, both of those. And finally, a stock I've talked about before, so long-time listeners know um, I've owned this. I do own it now. Kinetic Concepts, ticker KCI, page 209. Value line has it rated 1, and I think... Um you know the reason for that is not only is it cheap on an enterprise value to ebitda basis but the relative momentum here is pretty strong of late it's still well below its old high um but I've owned this a long time and my uh the attraction I have is that it's um it's a medical device uh it's a uh, it's called the, the vac and it what it does is it puts some uh of sort of a little vacuum onto a burn wound or a diabetes wound and um and that allows a wound to heal faster people get back to work faster they get out of the hospital faster so there's a for the user of these products versus the non-user um particularly if it's a hospital or an insurance company that's approving those products it's um you know it's got a return associated with its use if someone gets back to work 3 days sooner that's hundreds of, you know of dollars, what have you, thousands of dollars potentially. Or if you get them out of the hospital, you're saving thousands of dollars potentially uh, for getting them out of the hospital. So uh, they, over the last four or five years, have moved toward being the uh, gold standard of care. Um, one of the problems with the stock, really, since it came public, was there have always been these legal issues. I bought it under the cloud of a legal issue, getting a great valuation on a, on a product that uh, was gaining share on its merits, and it still is. In fact, the growth rates of their VAC continue to be good. Um, but they had some challenges to their patents. Um, most recently, Smith and nephew bought a company where there had been some patent challenges. There's some patent challenges between uh, KCI and Smith and Nephew. And the market gets hung up on these patent challenges. meantime, I'm looking at their results which include legal expenses uh, for these patent challenges. They're putting up a 30% margin, uh, operating margin. That's cash flow margin. The last five years, they grew uh, cash flow at a 19% compound rate. Uh, right now, their balance sheet is um, a 9% debt to capital. They've got a little bit of cash. Um, and so, you know, from a fundamental point of view, the numbers look good. The product looks good. Now, right as they were working through some of these legal issues, which they still have, um, they, they bought a company a couple of years ago. Um, I think it was called uh, LifeCell, something like that. And now it's showing up here as their uh, a regenerative medicine uh, segment. And it's a truly amazing product. I think it works in spinal to help regenerate cells and bone um, and this is an area that uh, for example Medtronic is involved in as well and I'm no expert by any means but it's a it's a growing area of medicine they had to pay up for it a little bit it was dilutive for a year or so and the street hated that so um, since this company has come public really in 04 um, you know sales are up threefold cash flows up nearly threefold the stock is down because of all this negative sentiment. And I continue to own it. Um, I bought more on, on some dips simply because the product is gaining share. The product has a, a return associated with it. And even if Smith and Nephew is coming in the market, uh, you know, doesn't that in some way um, t- tell you that it's a good market? I mean, there's other areas where there's more than two competitors. For example, orthopedics. Has about four big guys, they all still have great operating margins and returns, and so I think that um, you know the concern that these guys uh, are going to be um, left behind is to me always seem greater than the reality, particularly when they keep putting up the results right now the operating uh, the operating income to enterprise value is um fourteen percent it's a seven times enterprise value to eBITDA. So I look at that as a, as a return if I bought the whole company. And then, um, you know, according to Value Line they're going to grow 8.5%. I think that may be low simply because of all the procedures, of, I should say, of all the, um, you know, the health issues where uh, this negative pressure therapy, negative wound therapy, I guess it's called, um, could be of use, you know, it may be that half of those or even less are, are being addressed in the U.S., and you still have international where they've got some great relationships to bring the product into Europe. And who knows? I mean, maybe Kinetic and Smith and & Nephew will uh, stop blowing money on attorneys, join forces, and, um, you know, get back to helping patients and helping shareholders. So, uh, Chief Stock, Kinetic Concepts, page 209. And I guess my favorite this week... I'm sure my favorite in the past has been kinetic, so uh, this week I'm going to say instead um, C R Bard ticker B C R. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.